3: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by USCFootball.com. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined by Ryan Abraham. And Shotgun sprattling, we have a fun show for you tonight. We're going to break down last night's crazy come, come from behind victory for USC, uh, the third in this wacky 2020 season. So we'll talk about that. USC is now 5-0, and heading to the Pac-12 title game. They clinched that before uh, USC even played UCLA. So no drama there. But there was a little drama on Saturday anyway. So we'll talk about uh, the short week. USC plays at home. They're hosting the Pac-12 championship on Friday. Friday and then the early signing period starts on Wednesday. It's a wild week in store for everyone, guys. So we'll get into that. We'll also, I'll tell you at the top, we're going to have another show on Wednesday. It'll be a Palooza, uh, a Tunnelvision Palooza of recapping early signing day and also previewing USC's uh, matchup on Friday. So make sure you stay tuned for that. It's going to be seven on Wednesday. But guys, we have a lot to talk about. Another comeback, packed 12 title game. Don't worry, be happy. We'll get into that. You can also call us, 5124 Tunnel. Give, give us your thoughts, your questions, your concerns. We love hearing from you guys. And then you can also tweet at us, hashtag TunnelVision. And then we are live on all three platforms, YouTube, Facebook, and Periscope. Uh, put your comments, your questions. Shaka and I will read them and put them up on the screen. So make sure you do that. We love hearing from you guys. Um, but Ryan, I am going to start with you. Because uh, okay. you are the longest tenured reporter on the USC football beat. I'm old, yes. And you you pulled rank. <laughs> Woke up this morning to a column from you and you were just like, you pulled the car over and you're like, hey, USC fans, we're going to have a talk. We're, we're doing this. And I think it's important. And that's why we're going to start the show with it, Ryan. So you had a column that said, message to USC fans, just enjoy it. Take it away, Ryan.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously it was a crazy game. And this was the first one I covered in person. It was very surreal. You know, in the Rose Bowl, we were covered, we were in the North Press Box, so kind of different where the regular media would be. Everyone spaced out. Me and Keeley kind of had our own little cubicle mm-hmm. that was there. I did a couple of live broadcasts from there, pregame and in halftime. But there wasn't a Press Box announcer. There was a stadium announcer, but there's no people there. Maybe the most surreal thing was seeing that the, they played the national anthem. And you're like, there's only, like, workers around. Like, there's o- there's <laughs> nobody there to, like, enjoy this. And so it, the whole day was kind of weird. And, like, Talanova Funga steps in front and uh, intercepts that pass. And the UCLA announcer on the stadium, he's not, like, quick to say anything. The, the guy on the sound isn't, like, booing or anything. He's just sort of dead. And you're like, wait, something amazing just happened. And there's, like, nothing, no reaction whatsoever. Yeah. Now, Shotgun was outside. I think he could hear... The side like the groans from the UCLA sideline, but we really didn't get that in the press box. It was just sort of like UCLA good plays, there would be like sound and stuff. For USC good plays, there wasn't. So it was definitely surreal. But yeah. it comes down to this. Like when if you went to USC, if you're a USC fan, what's important to you? And I think there's two important things. Some you know, USC alumni, this has been talked about a long time. Like the best feeling for a USC fan is beating Notre Dame. But the worst feeling for a USC fan is losing to UCLA. Beating <laughs> UCLA doesn't necessarily mean it's the greatest feeling in the world, but losing to the Bruins is really terrible. I was around for that eight-game eight streak. Uh, when I was working as an engineer at the time, and one of my coworkers would write up on this whiteboard every year that USC would lose another game to UCLA, and he'd just laugh and stuff. And those are terrible. Like, you do not want to do that because so many times – UCLA season comes down to beating USC. It's just not a great season, but oh they can salvage it by beating the Trojans and USC usually has higher aspirations than that, but losing the UCLA is always terrible. The analogy I gave in there is if you're walking into the uh, you know the Trader Joe's, you're going into the grocery store and you're a UCLA fan for the whole rest of the year now that USC won, he sees you over there in a USC shirt. He's probably going to avoid you. You're over in the produce department. He's going to walk over and, and pick something from the frozen food aisle or, or the wine aisle or something. Just kind of avoid the USC guy because he didn't want to hear about it. But he's going to think about that Amon Ross St. Brown touchdown catch. He's going to think about Tyler Vaughn's making a, a play on a ball and, and coming down with it and USC not going for the run, you know, going for the win and not you know, uh, you know going for the touchdown to cover the spread even. So That's going to be in all the UCLA's fans' heads for the next 365 days. And I've just seen too many Trojan fans that were, well, but Clay Helton's still the head coach. And if we were playing a good team, and, well, they had too many mistakes, and we were down by 18 points, and just kind of the whiny stuff. And, look, I'm not going to dispute all of that is true. But I think at one point you just have to push it all (laughs) aside – you don't have to be super excited that you're 5 and 0. You don't have to be excited it's an undefeated <laughs> season and you're playing for the Pac 12 championship, but you beat UCLA. You don't have to hear about it. I mean, if, that, if Chip Kelly beats Clay Helton and you're like, oh, see, here's all the reasons to fire him, all that kind of stuff. But you got to hear it from your friends, They're water cooler, whatever it is. I was getting texts from UCLA people like during the game, and it's like, dude, I'm working, first of all. But there's like, like they're all over the thing and they're like, you know, getting on you. Just remember those moments of losing to UCLA. Remember 13-9. to nine, What was that like? Those things are all terrible for USC fans. So all I was asking everyone is, we understand. You don't think Clay Helton's a championship coach. You don't think this is a, a real season. USC hadn't beat anybody with a winning record. They made all kinds of mistakes. Blah, 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 blah. We get all that. It's all true. Just put that away for a while. Just shelve and go, damn, just beat the Bruins where they're down by 18 points. And it was 52 seconds left, and USC got the ball, and not only kicked a field goal, but freaking put a touchdown on them. And just because it's not just remember 50 to nothing. Do you remember what that was like? The 2011 Lane Kiffin get Rick Neuheisel out of there. That's sort of like a a, a shot to the head, death. Like it's just over. Like it's just done. You know what's going on? This was more of a uh, like you're watching Saw, and the guy, you know, it's like you know, you're someone's like. On the you know on a rack and they're about to be tortured and killed and somehow they flip the script <laughs> and they get the guy that's torturing them and it's like UCLA thinks oh we got the we got the Trojans down we're gonna beat them they're already celebrating they're popping champagne and all this stuff and all of a sudden boom it comes back and then USC scores in the fourth quarter and then UCLA is like oh man but then UCLA comes down and kicks a field goal and you're like all right we got them now now that you know, knock the wind out of their sails 52 seconds left and again it's just like this demoralizing just. That's the worst kind of loss, right? When you think you're going to win and you there's the you have victory in your grasp and it just gets snatched away. And that's what USC did to UCLA. Your arch rival, the team you hate to lose to. So that's all I'm saying USC fans. I should have like thought this out before I went on this red. That's all I'm saying <laughs> UCLA USC fans. Just be happy that you beat UCLA. Forget all the Clay Helton stuff. At least for a couple of days
3: there you go well done Ryan for your your monologue on that front and I think it's a good point because this season has been crazy 2020 has been crazy for everyone involved this team had to stay disciplined they didn't get to go home for Thanksgiving they've been living uh, around USC's campus while every other student has been home or wherever else you know this is a sacrifice to play college football in 2020 and so I think this is an important message to be like hey it was a nice win if you're a USC fan. Talented players made talented plays. You also had some some veteran guys get their moment. Tyler Vaughn's the Pasadena native. of uh, Vavai Malapai running super hard every chance he got. It was nice to see this for this USC team that has tried very hard in 2020.
4: Yeah. Shoddy? I, I agree that, that fans should enjoy this one. I'm sure there's plenty of stuff that was not clean but think about, if you're a UCLA fan today, think about how much pain you're in right now. Not only are, do you have to live with it for another year, uh, you can look and say, well, oh, how are we losing to Clay Helton, if, that, if that's the way you want to look at it too as a UCLA fan. But think about all the chances they should have won this game. How many chances they gave USC. You know, the third and 10, and they, get a, they jump off sides and also get a pass interference. Third and 10, and back-to-back jump off sides and give USC a first down. You know, they, they give USC that extra time. You decide to kick it to them. You haven't kicked it to them all day. You decide to kick it to them. 56-yard return. Why are you playing man coverage, you know, when USC needs to at least 10 yards? Um, why are you playing man coverage on the outsides with a single high safety? Fourth and one, what are you doing? Just what are you doing? Why is your best running back not in the game? You know, this is like a, you know, Reggie Bush not being in the game type of situation. When you put a fresh, true freshman in there versus Demetri Felton, uh, you know, everyone in the, on in the UCLA, you know, watching from home is going, where, why is this guy in there? Why? And he, you know, doesn't see the hole, misses it. And Hunter Echols makes a very nice play. USC gets to stop there. If you're a UCLA fan, you're going, why are we not blocking 99 ever? He's really good. He's really good over there. Why do we not block him? That was a strange strategy. That's true. True. And, and you know, there's, there's just so many things. Just think about if you were on the other side and watching this game. And... You know, if you can't enjoy the fact that USC won and that they came back and they're all because of Clay Helton, just imagine how much more dreadful today would be if you're on the other side. And at least enjoy the pain that your rival is feeling. So there should be some joy from USC fans. If you can't find it in the team and, you know, because of Clay Helton, then at least find it in your rival's pain because that's what a rivalry is all about. And it's just really disappointing. I said this on instant analysis last night that there weren't fans in the stands for that game because that would have been an epic one for the rivalry. You know, the teams don't have to be great to create a great game. And last night was a tremendous game. Just the back and forth. There are plenty of mistakes, but the mistakes played into making that game so great. Uh, so it was it was fun to cover and, you know, fun to be there for that one. USC finds a way, and that's what this team has done. You know, it's, it's taken the, those last second, fourth quarter comebacks, but they've done it. And now they're in position to win a Pac-12 championship and there's going to be discussion of them in the college football playoff. Now they shouldn't be in the college football top four, but they should be being discussed, and that's all you can ask for at this point. You know, after starting the season late and not looking great in some of the wins, but you're going to be discussed, and that's just more, uh, you know, more attention that's going to be for recruits that are going to watch the, the the college football playoff show on Tuesday and go. They hear that USC name over and over in this discussion because it will be it will be brought up. Uh, so there's a lot of positives that you can take away from it. So don't focus on the negative. Find something positive to think yeah. about. You
1: mm-hmm. it, 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 <clears throat> USC, okay. We get like, would they get crushed by a high state tomorrow? Yes. But they're going to be talked about, like Shotgun said, because you're undefeated and you're the potential to be the Pac-12 champ. You got to win the game against Washington or Oregon, whoever they play on Friday, but you're going to be at least in the discussion now. So that's a good thing. And look, you know, if you're a UCLA fan and you wake up and go, if I told you Keaton Slovis would go 30 of 47 for 344, five touchdowns and two interceptions, but Dorian Thompson Robinson would go 30 of 36 for 364 yards, four touchdowns and two picks, and UCLA would outgain USC 549 to 444, you'd be like, yeah, I feel pretty good about my chances in this one. And no, it's just, that's one of those things, just... Usually outplayed USC for most of this game and USC for the third time this year and five games came back in the you know final minutes of the fourth quarter yep. that just doesn't happen very often so enjoy it people come on it's fun.
3: Exactly. Someone said, am I watching the right show? (laughs) We're we're very positive tonight, but I think it's just for USC fans, you guys get a little doom and gloomy, and we had to bring the reality check a little bit. At least uh, Ryan acted like a father and had to pull the car over a little bit.
4: (laughs) And also, it it should be pointed out that 2020 is such a weird year that USC didn't play great uh, against uh, Washington State. They didn't run the ball. They didn't have offensive linemen for two weeks. Those things make an impact. No one wants to talk about them. No one wants to go, oh, what happened in the summer? Were you able to practice or not? Those things have an impact and USC is overcoming them. Now it's not the prettiest thing. It's they're not a great team. They're probably a a good to very good team. They're not a great team. And there's only a couple of great teams every year. There's only a couple this season. And there's gonna be a lot more just okay or good teams this year than anyone getting in that conversation. Just because of all the different elements that have come into 2020 with you know not practicing with kids being quarantined, you know with position groups being all those type of things. Those play into it. The coaches in college football already complain about how limited the time is that they have with players in a normal year. Oh, we only have 20 hours a week. You know, in the NFL, they get as much time as they want. So it's that much more difficult to install certain things or, you know, teach up certain things. So they're already complaining to begin with. And now you get hit with a bunch of different stuff. This year, USC is overcoming those things. So again, it's not the prettiest but they're, they're doing what needs to be done to win. And they've they played them with, themselves into a conference championship game. And they've done well enough. They're the only team in the conference that's undefeated. So they will host that game. Now, who they're going to play, that, that's still a big question. Yeah.
3: yeah, Clay Hilton said after the game, they're preparing for both Oregon and Washington right now. Washington still has to clear the 14-day the quarantine. That's TBD right now. There's been reports that they might uh, decide in a couple of days, so they'll know at least soon, hopefully, uh, for USC's sake. But Clay Hilton pointed out, we're preparing for two and both Oregon and Washington get to prepare for only us, so yeah. uh, it's an unfair advantage in that sense. In a, a short week, so Ryan, I was I was talking to some people about this. What's the incentive for USC to play in the Pac-12 championship game? I know that's a, a little bit of a hot take, but I mean they're five and zero. Oh. They're the only ones in the in the Pac-12. who's yeah. undefeated right now.
1: Uh, I mean, there, there's a possibility where they just cancel it. I mean, we saw uh, was it uh, Arizona and uh, I mean uh, Cal. Cal? You know that game got canceled. I mean, they're bringing, the interesting thing they're doing, so USC and Washington are scheduled to play on Friday. They're bringing in uh, Oregon and they're bringing in uh, Colorado to play at the Coliseum on Saturday. So the backup game is going to happen in the Coliseum. So Oregon's got to come to LA and Colorado has to come to LA. If either of the two teams bow out on Friday, they have a backup right there. So that's kind of interesting. I'll give them some props uh, for that one, but there's some scenarios where it doesn't happen. They just name USC the champion, but I think for Clay Helton it's important. And, and one of the things I didn't mention about the co- in the column and I think this is an important part. If you come out and just say, "You know what? That was awesome. We beat UCLA. Woo!" and you're a USC fan and you're like excited about that, that doesn't mean you endorse Clay Helton as the head coach and you think he's going to be a championship coach. I'm just giving you permission to say just enjoy the win without, you know, even if you don't like who the head coach is, you can still enjoy the win. It doesn't count as an endorsement. And I feel like for Clay Helton though, he does have to build up Uh, his resume with the USC fan base. And winning the Pac-12 South at 5-0 isn't going to be some feather in his cap that you come back, oh, you know what? He did go 5-0 that year. Winning the Pac-12, you beat an Oregon or so. You beat a Washington. You'd love to play, you know, teams that you lost to last year and you get some revenge on one of those teams. And you're recruiting against both those teams. I think all of these things are important for USC to play this game, but I think it's important for Clay Helton to sort of establish himself and like, all right, win the Pac-12, then you go to like a Fiesta Bowl or something, beat a Big Ten team there or whatever it is, and and you like, okay, well you're seven and zero. Are you going to say it's the greatest season in USC history? No, but you're like okay, it could have certainly been a lot worse. That's going to build on you know 2021, and if you lose three games like Clay Houghton does every year in 2021, then you're like all right, so this isn't it's still not back. But you know w- going seven and zero would be significant. So I think you got to get those extra games in there if you can uh, yeah. for Clay. Houghton. I think it's important for USC especially if you get to play a team from the North that you're recruiting against in a lot of these battles.
4: Yeah. And you also, you know, just an extra data point in case all hell breaks loose in the rest of the college football playoff. You know, there's been a lot of discussion on YouTube about, you know, USC get killed by any team in the top 10. I'm like, really? You know, that Notre Dame team, I like Notre Dame. I don't think they're vastly better than they were the last two years when USC lost to them by what, like three points and seven points. Um, You know, I, is Iowa State? Is there? Are they a dominant team? No, I mean they they lost to Louisiana Lafayette by 17 points. I know they've gotten better throughout the season, but I don't think that that's a you know a dominant team that would blow out USC. Um, so I think USC could compete with several teams. So you want to get that data point just in case, just in case, because there's no real telling. Hey, you get to six. What happens if a couple teams they can't play in the playoff? No one's really discussed this about, oh, well, you know, you got, are they going to push the playoffs back then? Because they've been so adamant about, oh, we can't move the playoffs at all. Okay. Well, what happens if a team gets, you know, they, a virus outbreak and they can't play? Are you going to team five and team six? Or are you just going to shut it down and say, well, we'll just declare the other team a winner. They get to advance. There's a lot of scenarios that, Hey, you want to just be able to bump your way up a little bit further and further, just in case it's a weird, it's a weird year. It's a weird effing year is what I wanted to say, but yeah, yeah. I'm going keep it PG. Good uh, job. That You never know what's going to happen, so you want to play that game. Now, the bad thing for USC is you're preparing for two teams. They're preparing for you. Both of them will be preparing. Washington and Oregon will be preparing for USC. Maybe they'll sprinkle in a little Colorado just in case USC gets hit with a virus or something. Uh, but they're going to be preparing for USC. Um, and then also... Those two teams didn't play last week, so you're coming off a second short week. Yep. They're coming off of two weeks rest. Now it's not rest where they're out there practicing every day and preparing for you for two weeks, but just the toll on the body is is definitely a little bit different. Um, you know, Clay Hilton talked about it uh, this past week, the week they had off because of the missing the Colorado game. He said, "Oh, we came out and looked really fresh in practice." You know, it kind of of ended up being like a bye week for them and they were fresher when they came back to practice. So there are some disadvantages for USC in that, but an extra win, you know, helps you, like you said, on the recruiting trail, potentially Uh, it could help with recruiting because you'll just be, you'll be higher ranked at the end of the season. You know, all those things could, you know, the small little things that could factor in. So.
3: In relation to that, Oscar on YouTube had a question and he said, please tell me how ESPN, it's their FBI, which is their uh, football power index, has USC at number four with a 49.7 chance to make the playoffs and Clemson at 45.5%. They have Alabama number 199.3, Ohio State at number two, 87.7%, and Notre Dame at number three, uh, 68.7%. Please explain. So he seems a little bewildered by that, as well as a lot of social media last night.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you got to have to ask ESPN because that makes no sense whatsoever. USC's coming in at number 15. Um, If if USC was already like number six or something and you were going to get some huge boost, the committee has shown they're not giving conference championships all kind of weight, you know? I mean, we've seen... Ohio State dropped down, and they just—you know—they were up there, and you know they go down to four. But they're not going to drop them out of the top four until they lose a game. USC would have to climb all the way back up there. There's just no way that that is going to happen. So to say it was like 47—I mean, that just—that makes absolutely no sense to me. So I would not put any stock into that. The—the the important part is they will be, and the, they will be talked about. That's all it's going to be. They will be talked about. They will not be in the college football playoff.
3: And why is that important, Ryan, for those asking?
1: For, why is it important? Because you do the whole point is you want to be a nationally relevant program. Yes. And USC has been nationally irrelevant. They were on the stage for that Rose Bowl, you know, when they. but you start off one and three. You still lost three games and you get to the end. The next year, you end up losing three games, but you do a couple of them at the end and it's just a little bit different, you know? So I feel in this case, um, this is one of those things where you want to be nationally relevant. You win all your games. If you get an opportunity to play someone good, like, you know, Washington or Oregon, that's nice, but... You maybe an Indiana team that's got nine, ten wins, something like that. That's going to be uh, an even bigger deal. So, or I don't know, Indiana might be like eight and one or so. I forget what they are, something like that. But yeah. I think they're the projection right now is to play Indiana in yeah. the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah,
3: it is according to ESPN.
4: Shadi, do you have something to add? Uh, you know, you want to get in the New Year's Six Bowl, and you know, if USC wins, then they will get in. the The percentages there, I, I think, are looking at uh, you know strength of opponent. You know, USC is playing a team that's not in the top twenty five, or I'm not sure exactly where washington is or will they will be in the college football playoff rankings this week Um, but versus clemson is playing the number two team so uh, that's the big thing there strength Uh, how does you uh, usc's was really high i'm not surprised that it's similar to clemson's but usc's was still really high just because of how many teams they would have to jump now espn's fpi could be expecting usc to take a big jump this week now you the the college football rankings haven't come out this week, so we don't exactly know where USC is yeah. going into the Pac-12 championship. So, you know, they were 15 last week. If they make a jump up to eight or something like that, because now they have that extra data point, that's what they've talked about so many times, like, oh, just the data points. Um, you know, if USC wins next week and now they're 6-0, and uh, then, you know, they're in the same spot as Ohio State as far as number of games and whatnot. Then yeah. how are you going to say that USC is – you know, 10 or 15 uh, spots different than Ohio State just because, you know, they haven't played as many. They're still undefeated. They're still a Power 5 team. There's never been an undefeated Power 5 team left out of the college football playoff. Obviously, this is way different this year. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> they could make a big jump this year. I mean, this week. And then that gives them, you know, a much better shot at something happening over the uh, the championship weekend. Mm-hmm. You, just,
1: you want to be talked about, you yep. know? You want to be like if... Uh, also,
4: also one thing to know to is that this isn't a normal championship weekend where it's only hey the first five or six teams are playing. Everyone's going to be playing basically, so that gives you more opportunity for losses, and therefore your percentage goes up that you can jump up a bunch of spots. Good
1: point. And, uh, uh, Blanc Kristoff on uh, mm-hmm. on Periscope says the FBI also had Penn State as a top ten team when they were zero three. So that's a great stat. I did. Uh, <laughs> I'm assuming it's true because it came from Periscope. Why would it not be true? Uh, but <laughs> so yeah, so periscope. that's that's kind of what, some of those numbers are just. They're, they're bunk. they that's not that's yeah. not real. It's not realistic.
4: But that's, that's different. You know where they're ranked supposedly versus their percentage of getting into something. Yeah.
3: Alrighty, we have callers in the queue, so let's go Ooh. to them. Okay. First off is John from Glendora. Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision. Hey guys, my first
0: time getting a call this year. Uh, John from Glendora. Uh, You know, we just need to be happy, man. we really be happy about the win. It's beating UCLA. You know, sticking a knife right into that field. That sounds good to me. Hey, it's 2020. Let's just say they do get in and run the table. It's 2020. Anything can happen. What if a team gets COVID and they get an automatic win? We have no idea.
4: Let's just let it ride. Be happy. You get to watch football, guys. It's a great point. Yeah, he, he like you said, let it ride. I mean, I, I feel like you you walked up to the table with twenty dollars, and now you're up to you know three or four hundred dollars. You're like, yeah. eh, I walked up with twenty. Let's keep going. Just yeah. go for it. Mm-hmm.
3: Thanks, John. We appreciate the you, enthusiasm. Oh, and rehashing what we talked about at the top. We love our Glendora callers. I believe we have our buddy Bobby on the line. Bobby, before I even bring you up, remember to keep it short. That's yeah, all I'm going to say. Not, not eight points, Bobby. <laughs> you're live on Tunnel
2: Vision. Hello. I have three points but I'm calling with a heavy heart my father died last Sunday oh my
3: God I'm
1: sorry Bobby. To hear that Bobby yeah
2: so 1972 he took me to the Coliseum five years old watching Anthony Davis so I have three quick points of course. number one is USC is seven and 14 the record against the five teams they played combined seven and 14 three fourth quarter rallies against teams with a combined record of four and 10. I have not seen improvement from week one against Arizona State to week six against UCLA. And finally, the talent on this USC team, like it's it's ridiculous. It's so far outweighs the capability of the
1: coaching staff.
2: I am a pessimist. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Bobby. Thanks,
2: Bobby. Sorry or, for your
3: loss, yeah, first of all.
1: We're real sorry about that, uh, Bobby. But that's great. It sounds like he was a great Trojan. Got you started with your USC career back when you were five years old in 1972, seeing Anthony Davis. Uh, that must be some special memories. So I'm glad you have some good memories of your dad and, uh, you know, uh, may he rest in peace. Um, for your pessimistic stories, I, I said in my column, all those things are true, like, USC hasn't beat a team that's been, uh, you know, has a 500 record. Uh, UCLA had one when they played, and they don't anymore. They're a pretty good team. I think USC has improved, though. I think the defense has got better. They had some tackling problems in the first half against UCLA, but I think they kind of shored a lot of that up. Uh, But Dorian Thompson-Robinson was really good. He was good against USC last year, and he was good against... Let's let's,
4: let's hold on on that. He He threw the ball in the flats. He threw wide receiver screens. He was
1: thirty of thirty-six
4: on wide receiver three. screens. I don't care. How many? How many, so,
1: how many throws did he have beyond three yards? It was I mean, like eight. How many times did Drake London come? I mean, uh, Drake Jackson come at him unblocked, and he still got away and got the ball off and made. Because plays. it was a two-yard throw, well, right? Whatever here. he did them. So whatever. We're gonna. That's not the point of this thing. We're gonna <laughs> give him some credit. He was pretty efficient, um, even if he was just dumping the ball off. But he, you know, the numbers were good. He didn't hurt UCLA. Uh, all that much you know he had as many interceptions as Slovis did but I think I think you could say this team got better but no one's saying um, this was a well-coached game UCLA probably outplayed USC USC has way better players than UCLA Keely mentioned it it's like great players making amazing plays and it wasn't like oh this game was great you know the, the Drake London like run over seven UCLA Bruins, like that wasn't some scheme thing. He got the ball and then he just made some ridiculous play and USC needed that to get sparked. They had nothing going on offense and you have this uber athlete go out there and just take over and do it himself. And that's kind of the way USC's been winning a lot of times. You'd like it to be the scheme and everything kind of going behind it, and like to back up the players a little bit. But that's really not how USC's DNA has been.
3: Well, know? that's what I said on on instant analysis. I was talking to Chuck, and I was like, the way USC has played this season, it just doesn't seem sustainable. Like you see ASU, and you're like, okay, well, hopefully they clean this up because you can't play like this and go five and zero. And then you look up, and they're five and zero. It's just like, how do they keep coming out of this with a win when it just seems like everything is not going their way? Yeah. You know.
4: It, and part of my answer was that it helps the teams that you're playing are from the Pac 12 South. and True. They've given a lot of things to USC. Give, give USC credit for taking advantage, you know, creating as many turnovers as they have, but also, you know, you take advantage when a team is third and 10 twice and they create penalties that give you a first down. Once creating back to back off sides to give you a free first down. Um, so you, you got to take advantage of those situations. And USC has done a much better job the last couple of weeks of taking advantage of the opponent's mistakes. That was something we said at the beginning of the season that they didn't do well enough. Uh, but they're, they've been punching the ball in uh, on, on some opportunities in the red zone. Their red zone efficiency has been much better the, the past couple of weeks as well. So there's, there's areas where they are improving. Are they playing to their 100% potential? No. And we haven't seen that in a long time for USC. Yeah. That's the thing that everyone is upset about. And I understand that. Yeah, uh, but you also have to realize in this weird year to take, you know, be thankful for some things. Um, and one of them is the fact that USC is able to play and they're finding ways to win. And, you know, they're doing that, you know, even when it doesn't seem sustainable and it wouldn't be sustainable over a full season, I don't believe. Uh, but with a shortened yeah. season, you can make things happen. And USC so far has made them happen. Now, again, I so said there's a lot of things that are stacked against them this week going up against either Washington or Oregon. And you know, that might be the time when you know they run out of uh you know last minute magic. Who knows?
3: Who knows indeed? Alrighty, we have one more caller in the queue. It's our buddy Hugo from South Central. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision.
0: Hey, what's up, guys? How you doing?
3: Hello.
1: Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, yes, sir. we got you, Hugo.
0: Oh, okay, okay, look, hey, this one's for Killy. Killy, let me ask you this question. When Kobe when Kobe was with the Lakers, did they ever tell him to stop shooting? <laughs> no. All right, cool. Hey, you see my main man, Shotgun, over there? That's a GOAT. When he wants to keep talking, especially around rapid fire, hey, you got to keep letting them talk. That's the man right there, okay? So, hey, Shotgun, sh- sh- Shotgun, um... Can we fix this running game? Because if uh I feel like if we can fix this running game, I, I I feel we can do even good in the playoffs. If we can't, I don't think I don't think we stand a chance. I'm just being I'm just being honest, you know. So I'm just trying to figure out if, if you think we can feel this fix this running game. Other than that, yeah, the tactical championship is all good. But after that, you know, I don't think it's gonna go so so well with us. Recruiting yeah. well, might go, you know, it, it, it'll it'll be good for recruiting and all that. But after that, I mean, I just don't see us uh, really making it happen in the college football playoffs. What's your opinion?
1: Hey Thank Hugh, you. Hugo, I'm real quick before you hang up, um, are you, where are you on stock neutral? Yeah. <laughs> where are you? Are you a stock neutral guy or no? I'm sorry, you said what now? Are you, are you stock neutral? Do you like stock neutral or are you not like? Shotgun's not a stock neutral fan, but maybe Hugo
3: doesn't know what you're talking about, Ryan. Yeah. Nah, don't.
1: Okay, <laughs> you gotta listen to listen to uh the uh, Family Feud podcast. So there's that's a kind of about I wanted to like you another you kind of give a decisive blow uh for, on the shotgun side for Keel you know against Keeley. So I was trying to give her a little win. But yeah, listen to the Family Feud podcast and then tell us about stock neutral. There you go. go. Uh, take it. Talking about the run game,
4: I thought USC's run game looked a lot better this game. Uh you know, they started really sluggish. I didn't like some of the play calls, but they, they were the entire game I thought the offensive line played well I didn't, they didn't necessarily play great, but they played well. They kept Slovis. I, I think UCLA ended up with three sacks, but they were trying to do a lot of things to get to him. There was a lot of dropbacks, and they gave him plenty of time throughout the night. Um, you know, He wasn't under attack all the time like we've seen in some other games, so give them credit there for the pass blocking. They had, I think, three guys that had NFL grades in this game from the initial PFF um, you know, um, grading that they do uh, for pass blocking. The run game, it was better. And I think part of that is getting your offensive lineman back and actually being able to practice the schemes you're going to go against. But they were creating some push. So the times when it really struggled early in the game and when they, you know, the run game just sucked early, was because like there's been a lot of chatter about the running backs in the in the yeah. YouTube comments and about who's good and who's not. Like Stephen Carr was getting hit as soon as he touched the ball. Um, the one time where he wasn't touched, he had an eight-yard run. I mean, it's it's something like that. That that was the difference, and that's what started happening as the game progressed. USC was able to identify what UCLA was doing up front and started to be able to attack it, and they were getting pushed. Um, so it it was when they were blocking guys, when they were figuring out the scheme, and you know having defenders in front of them. They were able to push them back. And that's something we haven't necessarily seen from USC much in the past. So I was actually noted that, you know, when I was rewatching the game today, I was like, oh my goodness, there's actually, you know, the, the line is going forward. And then that's, that's the difference on those third and one, fourth and one plays that you see where, you know, Vavai Malapai and Marquis Stepp, the one play that he was in for a third and one, you know, there was a, he got stopped at the line of scrimmage or he got stopped at the line. But the line was already a yard forward. So then he just fell forward after that and he gained three yards on the play versus getting hit in the backfield and then trying to then get that extra two yards to get to the line of scrimmage and get the final yard. That's been the difference. And I think that I was was actually... Um, you know, a little bit optimistic from them in that what they did the back half of the game, the adjustments they made there, we'll see if it continues uh, in the Pac-12 championship game. But after having all the issues that they had with COVID and stuff and not being able to practice, you know, I chalked up the Washington state game to that a little bit. Um, now, the bigger question is, what is it, does it become a trend from Utah to UCLA? And I thought USC you know, found some running game and also give a lot of credit to Viva Malapai and his vision. He was terrific as far as they were pushing the pile forward, and then he was finding where there was a hole and making the most of it, and he had some really nice runs in there for him. Mm-hmm.
3: How much of that was just individual effort? Because on my rewatch, it seemed like a lot of it was just Viva making something out of nothing.
4: It's not like he was getting hit in the backfield every time though. Sure. I, I, like the there was the one run that kind of got him going, the first one that they, they really popped off. I think it, it may have been the nineteen yard run that he had, where he goes he was running to his left and the entire offensive line, instead of being straight, here's the line where it starts, you know, there was there was room here for him to cut back. And that's because Liam Jimmins took the block and he was was two yards downfield. And Vavai did a great job. It was supposed to be a run on the left, but hey, he saw the cutback lane. And then he got upfield after getting past that initial line. Um, So I think that they were doing some positive things. Can they build on it? It's a it's late in the season to be needing to build on things, even though it's a short season. That's the issue yeah. for for the offensive line. But I, there were some positive things. I'm really I don't understand the running back rotation. I haven't understood it stood it all season to be honest. Yeah. Um, but Vavai was in there and he did his thing and he made the most of it. Um, he did get injured later in the game. You know, there's a lot of questions about his health. Uh, I, I I didn't remember him being out at the very end, but I didn't remember Something He's him only being banged in up either. though.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah, he is often banged up as well.
3: Yeah, but this seemed different. Um, Ryan, now yeah,
1: we didn't get an update from Clay Helton. Usually, yeah. we get one before, so that was canceled yeah. for 6 p.m. So we'll get we'll get to talk to Clay Helton tomorrow morning. Oh well, actually, what? Yeah, yeah, tomorrow, yeah. tomorrow morning, yeah,
3: right, nearly 7:45. Uh, Ryan, on the other side of the ball, what did you make of this USC defensive performance? It seemed like just a lot of missed tackles, and that is something where if we were in practice, I feel like it would we'd be able to be like, well, they took a little bit off, and so you can't say exactly. But I was just curious about the missed tackles in the beginning.
1: Yeah, I was talking about that on the the, the halftime tunnel vision we did. I've uh, been doing those, and we did one from the Rose Bowl. Keeley made some uh, cameo appearances in there too. Since we have been able to watch practice, it's hard to say. People were asking, like, have they backed off? Are they not hitting? Because they got all the offensive linemen back. So we were looking in, and everyone was back. The backups were in, all the starters. Like, you had everyone back. It didn't have to be a seven-on-seven week like it was leading up to Washington State. But was it? We're like, well, it worked then. We're going to do it again. Uh, It kind of seemed like it. It seemed like they needed to, to hit a little bit. And I thought, you know, like Shotgun said, I thought UCLA was doing a good job with these, you know, the quick passing game. But it was working. It wasn't just the fact that it was a short pass, but they were able to make a guy miss. They could get a, a good block by a wide receiver and break people and and really pick up, you know, good yardage on first down on some of those things. Um, and, you know, when they weren't really... Demetrius Felton wasn't getting going early on, but it was mostly DTR kind of throwing the ball, you know, in the flats and things like that and make it, you know, moving the chains. And uh, I thought they did a really good job with it. But the tackling was definitely an issue. Uh, there was definitely some broken coverages, some opportunities when momentum would shift against USC. I forget what the turnover was, but then they hit the tight end over the middle for that long bomb. Uh, Was that a Slovis interception? That was
4: the tip ball off of Amon Ross St. Brown. Terrific play by Stephen Blaylock making the one-handed interception.
1: Yeah. So it looks like USC's, you know, you you get that momentum, you score the touchdown, you're coming back. Uh, I think USC got a stop and stuff too. And then it's just like 14 points the other way. Um, You know, you can't have those kind of broken coverages like that. You let a tight end streak down the middle all alone. That's an easy throw for DTR. And that was not in the flat, Chuck, and that was just over the top. <laughs> that was <But> if- <laughs> one of the few throws that he made downfield. And that was something
4: because if you notice in the second half, you know, first half, it was that was all UCLA needed to do was okay, USC's numbering pressure, dump it in the flats and make them make tackles, and they weren't making tackles. And so when USC started making tackles in the second half, started making some adjustments. Then that's when UCLA had to change things up. That's when they had to start throwing it downfield more. That play right there, that was actually, uh, Pro Football Focus gave the credit for that one or discredit, I don't know, the blame for that one uh, to Raylan Goforth on that coverage. So he was chasing Greg Dulcich on the play and then you know allowed him to split through the middle uh, you can't really see it on the broadcast view exactly what happened on the play, but you know they, they were able to find the split right there and attack it. And USC USC struggled against UCLA's tight ends. They've they've killed them for like three or four years in a row now. It seems yeah. like uh, so.
1: Caleb Wilson started yep. that. I, I think. was about to say, yeah, <laughs> Caleb Wilson,
4: former USC uh, tight end, Caleb yeah. Wilson. Uh, yes, but revenge. It, you also had Devin Asiasi had a big game last year, yeah. so they've been able to find some holes there. Chip Kelly, in his time at UCLA, that's one of the things he's exploited against USC's defenses. So. That was that was one of the areas where they had some success, but USC outside of that one play in the second half, you know, they they locked things up a lot better following in the first in the last I don't know what was it fifteen plus 9, 10 minutes of the of the game and that first drive wasn't really great either in the second half, but yeah. the last twenty five minutes or so of the game they gave up that one play and that was about it.
3: On the whole, shotgun What have you seen from Todd Orlando and his halftime adjustments so far this season?
4: I mean, I thought that they've they had some great adjustments. You know, later in the game, they were doing some three man rush and then, you know, using a spy against DTR to keep him from getting out. So they were trying some different things there. I think he just he can really trust those cornerbacks to play one on one. And so it allows him to do a lot of different things, whether it be that, you know, the, the pressures that they've been bringing and stuff. And then Talano Hufunga is just so versatile and he just seems like he's always in the right place. Uh, so he missed a couple tackles in this game too. He was not off the hook on that. Actually, it's surprising. I'm going off pro football focuses grades and you know, their tackles and stuff just because they chart it and I didn't have time to to do all that already, but they had 14 missed tackles, which actually isn't an exorbitant amount is way more than you want. You want to have, you know, six to eight usually is what the good teams usually average, but 14 is not exorbitant. USC usually has 10 to 12. So it seemed like a lot more than that. And I think part of that is They're because like a, bunches, a lot yeah. of them were in space. Yeah. So it's one-on-one tackle. Can you get the guy down? And a lot of times it was instead of a zero-yard game, it became a, you know, a seven or eight-yard game. And USC really stuffed the run game in the second half, except for maybe one run up the middle that Felton had. And that put UCLA in longer field positions. There were a lot of second and twelves and you know, situations like that where then they, it changes what they can do um, after you know, struggling on the first down plays.
3: Now, I'm switching back a little bit cuz I forgot to add uh first time for USC in the third quarter scored a touchdown. Woohoo! That <laughs> change of pace there, so I had to mention that. Uh, but on special teams, Gary Bryan Jr. We've heard about it all preseason. That was something where we knew that he could be dynamic in that uh in that that unit and when USC needed it the most, Gary Bryant shows up.
1: <laughs> that was pretty special. And you know, obviously you need a spark when there's 52 seconds left, and he actually caught the ball on the you know the right sideline, and I was like, just fair catch it, you know, give Slovis a chance to mm-hmm. throw it down the field.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I really that's what I wanted. <laughs> and then there was pretty good coverage. It looked like, and uh, I think there was a couple good blocks that USC had, and and but Gary Bright Jr. really made uh, a nice play getting through there. I mean, he easily could have been stopped before the 20 and wasn't, and uh, obviously gets the big return there. So that was. As far as sparks go, when you only have, you know, you have under a minute left and you can get it all the way out to midfield, how many times have you seen these two-minute offenses or, you know, one-minute offense and, like, they throw a pass for four yards and they don't get out of bounds? You're like, what were you doing? Like, you know, and you wasted all this time. To already be across midfield and have, you know, that all that time left, uh, it was pretty special. And it gives you an opportunity to take a shot. And Tyler Vaughn's can go up in double coverage and go up and make that play and then, and it gives Lovas the opportunity to say, ah, we're not going to run it and kick a field goal. I'm going to throw it to Amon Rossi Brown. So that really sparked uh, a lot. You know, it, give, it gave USC a, a great opportunity. The playbook opens way up when you're cross midfield as opposed yeah. to being on your own 20.
4: Mm-hmm. Shadi? I, I'm just curious if Ryan was going to ask after the game, you know, do you think you should have fair caught that if they would have rented it out and got to the 20 instead of, uh, the, you know, the plus side there? But it definitely changed the ability to play call. Um, And not necessarily that whether USC could take a shot there, but it changed what UCLA was doing because they actually showed a blitz and then kind of dropped back into a zone coverage underneath, but left – you know, one high safety with man-to-man coverage on the outside, and that's that's money for USC. And terrific catch by Tyler Vaughn's going up and making the play. You know, he and Keaton Slovis they they attacked that matchup several times, and they connected on a couple, and they you know he overthrew a couple. That one he left it up there, gave him a chance, and he threw it short, short of the safety, so the safety wasn't able to get over there in time to make the play either. But I think UCLA changed what they were doing, thinking oh USC may try to run it. Um, and USC, maybe they were about 10 yards out of field goal range, and they'll probably try to throw one of these short passes that they do a lot in, in this offense. And so that maybe had impacted their defense, what they would have called in that play, rather than just having, you know, if it would have been on the 25-yard line, they're dropping a bunch of guys back. You know, there's going to be multiple guys back there. You're not going to be able to have that opportunity for a one-high look like that. You'll have a cover three look or something. So there's multiple players. But USC took advantage, and it all started with that special teams play. Earlier in the game, they got a special teams play, you know, just rushing the kicker and um, the punter and him being too slow to get it off. Uh, you know, that that kind of sparked them a little bit as well. So the special teams continues to make a couple plays every game uh, that they aren't always as impactful as this week's two were, but they're making some small, doing some small things every
1: week that, that are helping USC out.
3: And not taking
1: away from the team. That's
3: the biggest difference yeah. from what
1: we've seen in prior seasons. Yes, Ryan? Oh, yeah. Real quick, I got to give a shout out to my boy. Tyler Vaughn's, his homecoming in the Rose Bowl.
4: Wait, 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 wait. Joe DeMillo wanted to say, you all never give Tyler Vaughn some love. He's a stud. And I wanted to just be like,
3: I think John missed the beginning because he also asked if we were doing a a preview of early signing day or we're talking about early signing day. So we covered all of that, Tyler Vaughn's and early signing day at the top, John. But yes.
1: But you guys have known he's been my guy. Eight catches, 128 yards. I mean, that diving. Catch in the end zone was pretty special. It was it 38 yards out? I mean, just full out, laying out. That was amazing. And really, I mean, it could be the play of the game. I mean, how many catches, better catches have you seen live than what he did to go up between those two defenders and haul it in inside the 10-yard line? I mean, that was pretty special. So he's... Mm-hmm. uh he was showing out. It would have been like it would have been great if he had all his family from Pasadena there, but obviously they can't be there. Yeah. Uh, but you know, little props for for TV there. It mm-hmm. was great
3: because he's flown under the radar. They've spent so much love for Drake London and Almon Ross St. Brown, obviously, but uh, he's been consistent for USC over the course of his time as a Trojan. So for him to have that that senior moment in the Rose Bowl was was pretty cool to see. Yeah.
4: And also, if he if he if his, this is the end of his USC career, you know he could potentially leave after this year. Uh, he could potentially come back if he wanted, but not much left to prove there. But as this is the end of his career. He got some family bra- bragging rights because mm-hmm. yeah. little brother John John's on the other side, and you don't want to go zero and one against little brother and then not be able to come back or not you know play against him again. He had a huge game. Uh, Mama Vons was watching from home. You know she was super excited about the game. Uh, you know getting to see both of her sons play, but. Unfortunate that the families weren't there. This would have been a special time for them to, to see two sons playing against each other, but it didn't happen. But Tyler, you know, making a big impact in his final game uh, in Pasadena.
1: Uh, we had a question on uh, Periscope from sure. George. What's the second? Was the second half success uh, more about coaching adjustments or better execution, as it seemed?
4: Hmm. I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, you know, Keaton Slovis blamed himself for the offense not really going early, and then you know, getting clicking a little bit later. Um, I didn't think it was a ton that it was on him, um, but USC, there, there was always something, whether it be a penalty that backs them up, yep. there's a holding penalty on the first drive, you know, when they pick up a third down. It's, it's, it just seemed classic USC, you know, two steps forward, one step back type of thing, and they couldn't really put it all together. Um, and then in the second half, things started rolling a little bit, and the run game contributed to that. The run game had a huge impact, and uh, he got brought up in the YouTube chat as well about uh, Vivai Malapai's touchdown run, how Andrew Voorhees didn't actually block anybody on that. The the guy that he potentially could have blocked, or he may have... It was confusing to see exactly who he was supposed to block since he didn't block anyone. Um, but there was a defender that comes right through but was headed straight to Keaton slowest because there's no way USC's running the ball in third and five, are they? Oh, wait, where'd that guy go? <laughs> That guy's got the ball. What happened? So he was completely fooled by the fact that USC ran the ball and ran right by Vavai Malapai and let him go. And then Vavai breaks a tackle and then works his way into the end zone for the touchdown. Um, so that's the difference when you run the ball. Now you, you know, the next time, the next drive, that guy's got to stop and hesitate for half a second. And if that half a second is the difference in Keaton Slow is getting a pass off, then, you know, that's the impact the run game has to have.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, we actually have a caller it's our buddy dave i believe from iowa uh hello you're live on television
0: hi tunnel vision once back again and uh i'd like to second what uh hugo said you gotta make a uh, shotgun happy or else he's just gonna go to espn there ryan <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> it's
1: the second week in a row we're getting this stuff but
0: uh,
1: yeah. uh espn's gotta give me a job offer um, first guys yeah but, uh, <laughs> two
4: things we wanted to
0: Two, two things I wanted to say was, uh, so it, since you guys will have a uh, signing day show, is art going to come out of his shell and show up? That's one. And two, what what do you guys think of, uh, if you want to say, immature celebration by the USC players? I mean, I would expect a little more class from this kind of rivalry situation, especially the way USC came back. Love to hear your thoughts.
1: Uh thanks Dave. First yeah, we can probably Gerard's not going to come into the studio all the way from Chino Hills, but we might be able to pull him up remotely. It might be worth just to get a few thoughts on him. If we if you know, we'll see. I mean, he's
3: No promises. That's No all promises, but uh, that's
1: a good idea. I think that's something that we could uh definitely do. I'll try to work on that um you know, the next couple of days cuz it's coming up pretty quickly. What what did you guys think about the uh as far as the celebration stuff and all that?
3: Meaning, is he talking about the end of the game? Yeah. I don't really have an issue with it. It's a rivalry game. I thought there was more uh, chippiness against Notre Dame last year than against UCLA at the end of the game, right, Chacon?
4: I'm trying to remember Notre Dame. Oh, that was at halftime. Yeah,
3: at the half. Yeah, yeah.
4: where there was a full-on like everyone on like the getting field. into it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it's you know every time when people are like, we should have more class than that. Well, you can have more class than that, but you got to remember these are 18 to 21 year old kids, and you know when things get heated, they get heated. You know, it's college age kids. Every college age kid should have more class. I agree. <laughs> Just in general. Hey, I was Just classy as a college student. No, you needed some more class as well. <laughs> uh, but it, it happens, and in a rivalry games, sometimes you're going to have that tension going back and forth. And the the fact that the coaches got in the middle and separated them, you don't want to see USC's players running down the sideline. Uh, in front of the UCLA, I think UCLA's players actually you know showed some uh, restraint there because if I would have been on the field I would have been you know trying to go forward at them and they stayed on the sideline and maybe that's, they were just defeated by that. But yeah you would like to see it handled a little bit better, but good good by the coaches getting in and stepping in between and, and uh, you know separating the team so there weren't any actual fisticuffs or anything like that. No players suspended going forward. Marquis step got a push in that was about it. you see that after almost every play. So nothing too serious there. You don't like to see Chris Steele throwing up the birds to you know to UCLA, um, but saying goodbye to them with with a special finger. Um, but it it was I think it was just part of the rivalry, and especially in a stadium that's empty. I was about to and say, and the players have to bring all the energy and the yeah. juice. I think you could see which team had more juice even before that play. You know USC was going up and down, you know jumping up and down and stuff on the sideline, whereas UCLA was completely silent. And Ryan mentioned it earlier, but the Talanoa funga interception, it went absolutely silent. Now I was on the UCLA sideline, so you know I could hear their their bench a lot more, but it was like not a peep out of them yeah. when that that play happened. Um, and so as USC was trying to build momentum in that second half. You know, I, I think that, that played played a big part in it—the energy that they were able to bring on the sideline.
3: Well, it, I think, sorry, Ryan, I no, think Ryan. it's worth noting that you know, when there are fans in the st- the stadium, you turn your your energy towards them, like you to go like, towards you know. them. It's a recipe for disaster. if The only people you have to really celebrate around are the people you just defeated. It just doesn't go well with young men. It just—it's a recipe for disaster in that sense, and that's why I was like, I don't think anything. It could have gone worse, in my opinion. <laughs>
1: I think the energy thing when this whole pandemic's over and. People go back and look at the sports. I mean, I think that's something people are going to study and look at because I can't tell you how weird it was if you see some great play and you're like used to like some kind of reaction. And this is your yeah. You could see the USC sideline going crazy. I'm like, and I'm like starting my tweet. I'm like, I think that was an interception or whatever. Like, <laughs> what was, what did, I, well, they're cheering over there because there's no, like, <laughs> validation. You know, it's just so you're used to the – you, you know you you're in a stadium. You're used to the kind of reaction that you get with crowds, and there wasn't any. It was just so bizarre. And I think for the players, it has to feel different. And when they do have to bring their own energy, I mean, I don't know. You're going to crank it up a little bit. So
4: Yeah. It's also weird in the game for us. Just I feel like there's a guessing game at times. Especially being in an away stadium, uh, you know, they weren't going to make announcements about anything. USC on that play, I was like, Did he step out of bounds? I can't really see because there's people in the way there. Uh, I was like, So did he step out of bounds? And that's what they're checking. Like when there's a review, they don't tell you what it is. Like, you know, what what are they checking for right now? Who knows? It's just some uncertainty up there. Whereas there'd be more chatter in the crowd, someone would have it, uh, you know, someone would have the information whether it be from a radio broadcast or whatever. But it just seems like there's some unknowns sometimes that are a little bit different for us uh, you when know, covering games.
3: I was telling someone, it was so weird because there was so much energy at the end of the game. You know, last second victory. Then you have the little chippiness at the end. They separate, and then it was dead silent. Yeah. Very quickly. <laughs> and you're just sitting there looking at your computer in an empty stadium, and you're like, what just happened? It was pretty crazy. Because yeah. usually there's like... A lot, like twenty minutes, things are happening, bands are playing, and it was just like lots of commotion and then silence. It was yeah. a little odd in that sense.
1: We have a question from Mario on sure. Periscope. People ask why am I looking over here. So my screen's over here to look at the Periscope stuff. But there's also you're a, also looking at something. There's Night a football. game on TV, so I'm sorry. I'm, sorry I'm, <laughs> at a I'm a Steeler fan. You know, whatever they're they're losing. Um, but okay. So Mario says, why do we praise the players for a good play but blame coaches when the players make bad plays? One more time, Ryan. Why? Yeah, did you hear, shotgun? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Why, why do we uh, blame the players? Um, or, uh, well, players don't get paid, first of all. So yeah. if you're going to blame anyone, you're going to blame yeah. the people that are getting, you know, guys getting five million dollars, blame him as, as opposed to the guy that's doing it for free. But a lot of it's just, you know, you if you're going to get on a player, like, uh, oh, this tight end didn't make a great play, and you want to just hammer him, it's like, you know, he's a student athlete. He's, you know, he's out there playing. He's doing his best. But you want the coaches to put him in the right position. So, you know, the Drake London play, you can give the coaches credit for, you know, whatever the route they set up and they, you know, he completed the pass to him, but Drake London made the play to get into the end. zone. that wasn't coaching or anything. That was all him. That was him making, you know, a a tremendous play. But if you see a team come in and the players look like they don't know what they're doing, they just look out of sorts. I mean, coaching is such a big part of football. If you're in basketball, you can kind of roll the ball out there and let five guys just do do what they want to do. It's less about strategy. Like, you really need a good strategy for football. And everyone, especially on offense, people have to be on the same page. And you can kind of tell, like, oh, that looks like a well-coached team. Even if the athletes aren't as good, it's like they're all in sync. You know, we saw, you know, uh, De La Salle High School. They were, they were winning all those games. They didn't have all the best athletes, but they were just a really well-coached team. You can kind of see that. So it's not always that way, Mario. But if you see poor coaching, you're going to call it out. But if you say like, oh, that guy sucks, like "Eh, maybe he shouldn't be in there, but you don't want to say he's terrible. He has terrible hands. Maybe he does, but you know, he's not, he's not getting paid to do it. So he's out there doing, you know, doing his best.
4: Mm -hmm. It's a symbiotic relationship. You know, the, do you give Fernia credit for that touchdown against USC? No, that's a Chip Kelly. He designed that play. He gets the credit for that. You know, if a player is wide open, then you give the coaches credit if a player breaks 7 tackles on the way to the end zone and fumbles in the process but then gets it back eh, that's probably on the player. Yeah. You know, when he goes full beast mode you give the player credit for it. Um, you know, designing the play to get him open, you know, if he was wide open then you would give it uh, you know, give the credit to the coaching staff as well. You know, teaching the players that, you know, if you see the single high and you got man to man coverage, throw it up to Tyler Vaughns. Yeah, you give credit, coaches credit for that. Calling an audible at the line on a run play and then throwing it to Armand Ross St. Brown, you get the player credit for that. So um, he went against the coach's
1: wishes and it worked. Yeah, know,
4: so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually had nine guys in the box to stop the run. You know, expecting that USC is just going to try to waste some time. Uh, instead, and, and this is interesting. I, I wanted your guys' opinion on this. Uh, was that a good move by him? Because if you run the ball once, run to the left, get right in the middle, and then wait. Get to the line of scrimmage and then spike it. You kick the field goal with zero seconds left by throwing it. He then gave UCLA a chance. This is the old adage of like, do you score when you're running the ball? You know the Todd Gurley thing from a few years ago, and you know it's happened a couple other times. Happened to the Falcons this year, terrible. Uh, but you know, do you score and then give the opponent a chance, or do you you know you know stop at the goal line and then try to kick the field goal to win it?
3: I was curious if they were going to put it in Parker Lewis's hands or foot, if you will, because he had missed one earlier and he hadn't been sure this whole season. So I was like, "Are you going to put it on your freshman in a rivalry game?" So I, I think I know on the broadcast they said you want to keep your offense on the field. So I think that was the right call by Slovis.
1: It's definitely the right call mm. by Slovis. See, this, I disagree. Okay, really, this yeah. is not. You know, we're not playing this strategy game with. Uh, you know numbers and all this this is this is a rivalry game. This is a pandemic year. College football. If Keaton Slovis can go, you know what? My dude Amon Ross St. Brown is one on one. I'm just gonna throw him the ball. Go for it, man. Like let's go have some fun. Like that's way more fun than like <laughs> running to the side to you know spiking the ball and kicking a stupid field goal. Oh, zero seconds left. We we executed that perfectly. Like okay, good. Here's your analytics A plus. Screw that. Throw it to of the Brown and catch a touchdown. Like and boom. It, and if he throws an interception. Whatever, like that's. I'm not gonna blame. I'm not gonna blame Keith Slavis. He had confidence. He knew his dude was one on one out you, there.
3: You know, Amon Ross St. Brown is gonna like sacrifice his body before letting that yeah. be intercepted. You mean I, the
4: guy that he was throwing to on the first interception he threw in the game? Okay,
3: it's different though. Game's <laughs> on the line.
4: I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, so, so you're saying Amon Ross St. Brown takes plays off and doesn't play full? 100% oh my goodness, I him to
1: that fun and that was fun.
4: <laughs> no, I, I fun think it was definitely fun. Too, and yeah. I, but I think there's conversation there because UCLA still had three timeouts. Uh, USC was definitely had a big advantage by that that review that happened on the Tyler Vaughn's when there was no need to review it at all. But the review stops the clock, gives USC, USC a an opportunity to set up and be ready for the next play so they can decide, do we want to run it here um, instead of rushing to the line, having to run it, which they were supposed to do, and then spike it and then try to kick the field goal. Uh, in, would UCLA use their timeouts? There's a lot of factors that play into that one because UCLA had those three timeouts. But I thought it was interesting that there is the the thought there, and it looked like that was USC's thought: is hey, let's run it, try to get it t- towards the middle. And as long as they got it to the middle, I think Parker Lewis, it was they were at the eight yard line, so it's going to be a. You know, it's going to be a... a chip shot. Chip shot. Yeah. It's going to be 25 yards.
3: Yeah, field. but that leg, you never know. Yeah. He oh, hit it to
4: the moon. He, he is did, so buff, I, I by the like... way. Holy crap. Like, they put the
1: Instagram <laughs> picture of him. We, I should have brought it up. Oh, wait, what? <laughs> he is jacked. Parker Lewis has, like... was an Instagram
4: um, photo came up?
1: There was some kind of thing. He was sitting next to the bell, like, the victory bell in the locker room, and he's just... Look, he looks like Hulk Hogan. I was like, what the hell is that? It's crazy. <laughs> and also, why I the not hell did they... That. Why did they interview... Or why did they uh, review that... play? Like... Was it just such an amazing catch? Like it was clear, it was a catch. It was just amazing. You can
3: see Chip Kelly on the broadcast say it came out. So I think they thought on the way down he didn't have possession.
1: Oh, so okay. yeah, after he's on the
4: ground for like five seconds, you know they ripped the ball away from him. But
1: it was, yeah, it was like, is it so great? Well, let's watch that again. It was so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Like, okay, fine. <laughs> That's whatever.
4: what it kind of felt like. It's like we know this is a catch, but look at how great
1: this that is. Was that Please. was a maze mixture. That was a balls so Let's go check it out. Yeah, right. <laughs>
3: all righty, we have a caller on the line, and then I'm going to jump into rapid fire questions because we haven't fully even gotten to questions yet. Sorry uh, about that. It's already yeah. eight o'clock. Yeah, so I've let's done a go on the to our right, well done, Ryan. Let's go to our caller on the line. I believe it is Keith from Irvine. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision.
2: Back on Tunnel Vision, second week in a row. And guys, girls, I'm glad to be talking to you. I had a great time last night. I know you guys did. Uh, definitely hit on the over, so uh, rent money's paid up <laughs> for the next 12 months. They cover I mean, the spread too, so. That I love that. See, kicking a field that's goal that's wouldn't have covered shooting. the spread. So uh, you know, shotgun yeah. has his hat on backwards. That means he's coming to. He's coming to give the best analysis out there, Ryan. You know I love you. Uh, you know, Telenoa. Noah is Telenoa going to stay with us? Next year, because I think what we have, uh, I know uh, Elijah is going to stay. Chris Dill, he's definitely going to be at the cornerback position. If, if Talano stays, uh, I think we have the best, one of the best secondaries in the country. And what do you think about that four-star corner that decommitted from UCLA, only to see the Trojans take it in dramatic fashion? Thank you, guys. Thank you, Keith.
1: Thanks, Keith. Yeah, I think, I think USC secondary is right up there. I mean, is a he's a special player. When people start saying like, "Man, he reminds me of Troy Polamalu," you know he's uh, pretty darn good.
4: Yeah, yeah. Especially now he's got the flow going too. So yeah, that, he it, does. that helps uh, with that. He he's just been all over the place. Um, is he coming back though? I don't think you're going to see him for another year at USC, but I don't know that for sure. I'm just guessing. With as someone who has an injury history, a lot of times you don't want to stay for an extra year and you know the potential of having that injury and not being able to make any money for your career. So. We'll see where he where goes. He's made so many plays this year, but there is a big question about him is where exactly does he play at the next level? Is he fast enough to be a safety? Does he need to be in the box? He's a playmaker and that's Troy Polamalu. Now Polamalu was probably a little bit faster, but just a playmaker. You can move him around do different things. So versatile, you know, it's similar to a guy like Max Williams, you, know, you watch him in 7-on-7, seven seven, he makes some plays and stuff, but then you watch him take on a 300-pound pulling lineman and destroy a play, and you go, that kid's a playmaker. I want more kids like that. Uh, and, you know, th- that's the type of players you need on the team. You need some dogs like that to, to be out there. They can be all over the place but aren't afraid to, to put their body on the line and go attack things. And both of those guys have been super aggressive. Talanoa has been terrific this year. So I don't think with how much he's put on take this season, I don't think you're going to see him next year.
1: He's had an interception in four straight games. Like, crazy. That is insane. Can you yeah. name the last person to do that? <sighs> the
4: answer is no, you cannot. It was Sammy Knight. So I remember him. Yeah, back in 2000 and something, I believe. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, Sammy Knight. He was 90 90 something. It's a while back.
3: All righty, let's go into questions. First one is from Mark on YouTube, who says: Washington has a defense known for shutting down the air raid, while Oregon has a really dangerous run game. Which team would be the easier matchup for USC in the title game?
4: This is a very good question. Yes.
3: Mark always has some good questions. Ryan, I'll
4: let yeah, you go first. Yeah, we've seen
1: – so we've seen Jimmy Lake uh, really do a good job against Mike Leach's air raid. Certainly it's different. I think if you can run the ball a little bit more than what Mike Leach's teams were doing, you could have more success. Um, you know, I I, I think Washington's looked like the better team that I've seen so far. But Oregon has that kind of USC factor. Like, there's still that danger factor. You know there's five-star dudes and four-star dudes all over the place. They're at they're Washington too, but not the same way as Oregon. I ca- – I think Washington might be a little bit easier of a matchup. But either I think they're a little different, like you said, but I, I I think Washington might be a little bit easier. But if I'm Clay Helton, I want to play Oregon. I want to play the team that really spanked you last year and get an opportunity to uh, get some revenge.
4: I think that you want to play Washington because they may be, may be without players due to COVID. That's so, true. You know, the, yeah. the team that's going to have less players and you, know, pretend, you don't know who exactly they are, if it's impact players... That can be a, a big potential there. If everything was even, I think that you would still go Washington because I think, uh, like Tyler Shuff, uh, the quarterback at Oregon better, and I'm going to go with the better quarterback in this one. Yeah.
3: Um, Facebook, if you want to ask questions, make sure you put them in there. Sometimes if you ask them in the beginning, they get cut off, so just a friendly reminder. A different mark on YouTube said, uh, If USC wins the Pac-12 championship but isn't selected for the playoff, what's the ideal bowl game situation? It's pretty much fiesta or bust,
4: right? Uh, they'll be in a in a New Year's Six Bowl. I, I'm not. It, I think it depends on who is in the uh, college football playoff and who is t- you know which uh, conferences are taken away in that response, uh, or in that scenario. So I think that that depends on where they would go in that in
1: that situation. But it seems like for, I'm not. I don't like bowl projections, but it seems like everyone seems to think that's Fiesta.
4: But everyone uh, also thinks that Alabama will win and they'll get in, and that Notre Dame and Clemson will both get in as well. So yeah. they may be counting on you know those alignments to be factoring into that and Ohio State making it. So that may play into how exactly, you know, if, if something something else does happen, then that may play into which which games have uh, teams already designated for them, which don't.
3: We've gotten so many questions about this that I'm just going to go rapid fire one by one, so shotgun jump in here. We don't know why USC has the running back rotation they have, right? <laughs> no, we don't. No. Where was Marquis' step? Do we know? He didn't. He, he, he was on the he was, he, he was available. He was available. played a
1: couple snaps, but... And he apparently got chippy with Clay Helton a little bit about when he came in the game at when Vivai was out, and then they called timeout, which was weird. They kind of wasted a the timeout there, and then his third and yeah, one. And yeah, and then he looks like he was going to come out again, but then they put him back in the game. So it was really maybe he got his way, talked his way back in. I don't know, but it was the fact that we didn't see him until the you know third or fourth quarter, or whatever it was. That was just bizarre.
4: the the entire running back rotation and maybe this will answer a bunch of these questions but it doesn't make there's no rhyme or reason to it at least right now it may just be you know putting vi out there and we'll see how he does and going from there vi's also on the kickoff coverage unit Marquis step filled in for him on the kickoff coverage unit so no i don't think either one of them was injured at least early in the game Step was not, you know, uh, you know, he never was injured in the game. Vai on the two-point conversion, it looked like he banged up his shoulder a little bit. You know, he's probably banged up after running for 17 times when they never, you know, one back never has that many carries for USC. Uh, I don't know if there's anything serious. We'll find out from Clay Helton early tomorrow. Yeah. Why does Keenan Kristen get one single snap? And why is it the first snap of the fourth quarter? Like, yeah. that just seemed like a very strange time to be like, all right, let's throw him in and use him. Steven Carr, you know, he's he's was terrific as a blitz pickupper, you know, as a you know, in the past protection. He's been terrific there. Vi did really well there as well at times. Um, but, you know, Stephen Carr, there's still some hesitancy at times. Even on that swing pass they caught, uh, you know, Gerard said that it looked like he was juking ghosts. Um because he just I don't know if he just didn't think he would be that wide open. And it was like, where is everybody at here? There's gotta be somebody else that I'm missing or whatnot. Um but he also didn't have very much room to run on his initial carries. You know, he was hitting the he was hit at the feet as he was gri- getting the handoff on one of his carries. So, yeah, he's not going to get many yards then. He had 5 yards um, in this game. He ran for 5 yards, I think it was. He had 11 yards after contact. What does that tell you? That means that you know, he's not having a, a bunch yeah. of open lanes to run through. Yeah. Whereas Viv Malapei ran for I don't know what I don't remember his exact um, you know, number of yards per carry, but his yards after contact was 3.26 and his yards per carry was, I think, above five. So 5.8. Yeah, so he's, got, he's getting a little bit more room there to run. So it, sometimes that just is how it plays out with particular players, you know, is someone giving something away. A couple of times I looked at Marquis Step, and I feel like you may be able to tell when he's running versus when he's in pass protection by his eyes. Are you giving something away? Hmm. You know, like a pitcher tipping his pitches. You know, you don't know exactly. Maybe that's why someone doesn't have as much room as other guys do when they're in there. I I don't know exactly, but there's no rhyme and reason to the rotation right now. Maybe we'll get a chance to chat with Mike Jinks. Maybe that'll be something that comes up with Graham Harrell or Clay Helton this week. But it was definitely strange this game. Normally it's more even. This game, they put in Vi and went with him and they used Stephen Carr a little bit. And the other guys were a touch here and a touch there.
1: And you started with Gary Bryant Jr. getting a... Pitch for minus. Yeah, six we yards. had a lot of
4: questions about the pitches as well. What the heck was that? That was you know Elijah Vera Tucker didn't get the block on that. It was, it was a guy. There was this uh, a DB screaming off from the nickel. You got to be able to basically lay out and just push him out as far as you can. Um, they were trying to do something different. Try to get a young guy you know that they think is a playmaker, as we saw at the end of the game. And there was questions in the YouTube chat about you know why don't they run jet sweeps with Keenan Christen? Well, sometimes when they put somebody in there and try to do things, that's what happens, you know. So, you know, they try to do things that are out of their or, out of the norm for them, and it doesn't necessarily work. So, you got to be able to do what's in the normal system. It seems like
3: on the whole, though, shotgun, do you feel like the run game is a little bit too predictable? I feel like when they go into like a tight formation or yeah. when Eric hook goes into motion, you're like, okay, well, they're about to run the
4: ball. <laughs> yeah, and that's why you have to be able to you know use play action. We've seen how successful it can be when they do use it. You know, throwing the touchdown to Hook against Utah. You see the man-to-man coverage that they got because of that tight formation. So if the, if, if you've got a tendency, you got to also be able to break that tendency yeah. and go against it and have the counter move to it. And USC has shown some counters the last couple of weeks. You know, whether it be throwing on Ross St. Brown over and over, you know, when teams are, you know, expect you to run it on third and one. Or whatever it takes, you know, you got to be able to do do the opposite of what teams expect, and they've been predictable in their run game, but that has also opened up some of the passing opportunities recently.
3: We had a question from Super OC Holmes that said, "Can USC play Notre Dame in a bowl game?"
4: I don't think that's going to happen because it seems like Notre Dame will be in the college football playoffs. So yeah. Unless USC makes a big jump. Now, something weird happens and Notre Dame beats Clemson, so now Clemson's out of the playoff. Alabama loses in the championship, so they're not number one. So Alabama, now Notre Dame's number one. And USC, some weird way, sneaks into number four. How much fun would that be?
3: Playoffs? Be We're fun. talking about playoffs?
4: USC versus Notre Dame in the playoff. And now you get a chance to knock off them as a number one seed.
3: Okay, let's calm down a little bit. I'm just saying. it would be fun. calm down.
4: I'm just all about having fun after last night. And some of these people in these questions are not having fun. Let's have a little more fun, have guys. It's fun. almost
3: Christmas. <laughs> Uh, we have a question from Tim on YouTube who says, when was the last time there's a two-minute or less drive and you go, USC's got this? Kessler years? Question mark?
4: I was like, did, did we skip over Sam Darnold or something? Yeah, I was <laughs> going to say. After after that Texas game, I feel like any time that Sam had the ball in the game, he was like, eh, "They'll they'll do something.
1: Maybe. Kessler was Jump like, pass. he was the king of the dump offs and stuff. He was His you know,
3: last pass a.S U.S. Trojan was a check down to the running back. It was a Hail Mary check down.
1: Yeah, it's like a Hail Mary. Oh, instead of throwing it downfield where that's the only play you could make, let's check it down. And it's like, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was, yeah, I would I would go Sam Darnold over Cody Kessler for sure.
3: Jasper Smith said, can you guys give us some intel on the defensive tackle transfer from Alabama? Will he start immediately if Tui Pelotu leaves for the NFL?
4: Not exactly. I I believe the waiver is going to come across where everyone's going to be immediately eligible with transfers by the time the next football season comes around. I believe that's going to happen. I don't know that for sure, but I think that's going to happen. So I think he'll be eligible. Um, you know, he, He's a big dude, obviously, and have an opportunity. But USC has some other guys there. Does Brendan Peely come back next year? He hasn't played much this year. Uh, so I think he'll be in the rotation. And depending on what kind of fronts you have, I think that that he'll be in there, though from what we saw of him as a high schooler. Now, that's a little while back, but still, uh, you know, high school and then what you gain in an Alabama program, I think he'll be in the mix for sure.
3: What does Tui uh, Palotu's rise mean for USC's depth chart shotgun?
4: Um, I mean, it's been surprising. He keeps making plays too. Yeah. You know, I thought maybe I uh, made a couple plays early and then, you know, offensive lineman, now you get a little tape on him, you see what his moves are, and he w- wouldn't make any more after that. But he just continues to make some plays. He's getting in the backfield. Huge tackle on a a third down play. They threw a a flare out to Felton, and he tackles him basically with one arm near the sideline, and then USC gets a fourth down stop on the next play. Uh, He's making big plays, and I think that that just, it gives you a little bit, you can breathe a sigh of relief, I think, as a a defensive staff, just knowing, hey, we got another playmaker there. Because Drake Jackson, we're going to have him for one more year, and he's gone. Um, so, you know, we got to start develop- developing more guys. If you're that USC defensive line coaching staff, you-, you start looking at it that way. And so getting him and then, hey, if you get a guy that goes to the same school that Drake Jackson went to, and plays a similar position that Drake Jackson went to, and mm. also happens to be the number one recruit in the country, <laughs> then he will be right in the mix as well.
1: You know, we panned the uh, recruited class from 2020, which you know, deservedly so, but you get contributions from guys like Thule. Where, you know, we knew Gary Bryan Jr. would be pretty good. Parker Lewis is like legit kicker, right? I mean, he's, you know, it. uh, yeah, it's pretty. Spe- so there's some contributors here. We saw a couple of the freshman offensive linemen play, uh, you know, against Washington State when they had to, and you know, they they held their own. So, you yeah, know, maybe there's, maybe there's some guys like you needed some guys to emerge from that 2016. I mean, the 2020 class, because 2016 was a guy where a lot of people transferred out. The 2020 yes. class, it just wasn't ranked very high, but Getting like Thule to be like a real contributor as a true freshman, I think that's a that's a positive development.
4: Yeah, didn't really think there'd be any impact guys in this class besides potentially Gary Bryant as a returner, not even as a receiver, but as a returner. Yeah, um, and then Parker Lewis didn't expect him to, but you know, taking over the job from Chase Lewis, Chase McGrath. Uh, so give him credit there. And then Tule has been a revelation on that on that line and. I just think that the, the entire defensive line has played really well at times mm-hmm. this year.
3: Credit to Vic Soto. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steven on YouTube says, uh, when the offensive line struggles or is inconsistent, is this because of coaching or recruiting
4: slash personnel? That's usually scheme. You know, it's, it's not necessarily that the offensive line are just getting blown by. That has happened a couple times. This, one of the sacks right up the middle, that was a blow by. Uh, but more often than not, uh, I feel like offensive line play – more than other positions is requires good coaching. And so, if your offensive line is not playing, it's either scheme, so offensive coordinator coaching, or position coaching where you're not getting it done. USC has struggled, even though they've had some really talented guys, where some other schools just do a really, really good job of developing offensive linemen. USC hasn't done that consistently in the last five years or so. Yeah. Now, there have been some really talented dudes that have gotten better, and there's some players that are getting themselves better. But consistently across the board, you know, the unit hasn't worked uh, as well as it probably should, um, you know, with the talent that they have.
1: Yeah. I mean, talk about the parts. It's the sum hasn't been as good as it should have been. And there's a lot of communication. They do have to play. I mean, the, the, they always say it's like five fingers on a hand. They all have to work together. And that's been some of the problems, I think, with USC. And that, for me, comes from coaching.
3: Jordan me asked a question that people put in the chat so far, uh, just given the news of uh, Auburn. Uh, he said, can you please explain how the buyouts work for Clay Helton and how does it go down this year in 2020 and next year in 2021? How much less is it next year, strategically speaking?
1: Yeah. So, um, it's going to go down every year. So that's a positive. If you're looking for something like that, it's like, as far as your USC, if you wanted to buy clay out and out every year, it goes down for sure. Um, we reported a lot of the stuff in the war room, a couple of different times. Uh, we found out from the 2018 tax returns that Clay Helton was making about $4.6 million a year, which is about a 40% increase of what his previous contract was. Uh, we were told it was going through 2023. Um, so, you know, this is 2020, uh, three more years on the deal, you know, 2021, uh, two and 23. Uh, we were, you know, we had heard that there's probably, you know, the typical things you would have were increases for those contracts estimating that he's probably making $5 million a year now, and that'll go up over the next couple of years too. And USC also has for any kind of buyout, um, there's a benefits package, like a fringe fringe benefits sort of thing. So if you have two years left on your deal, it's not just in your deals worth 100,000. It's not just a 100,000 that was worth on your deal. There's also, you would assume a percentage of that as fringe benefits that they would, USC would have to pay out. So there's even more, about a third more than whatever the contract is. So we're estimating it's probably, you know, after the 2021 season, $13, $14 million to buy Clay Helton out. If you were going to do it now, it's closer to 20. So, yeah, I mean, it's a significant amount of money. Um, wasn't a favorable contract that Lin Swan and uh, Max Nikias gave Clay Helton for USC. It was obviously very favorable for, for Clay Helton.
3: While we're on the topic, uh, it was expected, but what were your thoughts, uh, Ryan, on Kevin Sumlin?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, 12 games in a row you lose. And, you know, we talked about 50 to nothing with UCLA. Losing 70 to 7 to your rival is is pretty rough. Um, you know, what we had heard, he had a pretty decent uh, buyout too. I mean, it was, I don't know if it was 10 million, but I think it was getting close to that. I didn't hear all the, the real numbers on what his buyouts were. But I think I heard eight. eight. Yeah, so something, you know, but for, for Arizona, it's a significant number. Uh, you don't want to have to do something like that. Um, and, you know, their, their athletic department's hurting just like all the rest of them. What we were hearing was basically like, I mean, they're looking for reasons to not fire someone. And unfortunately, if you watch that game, Arizona's been feisty at times. They, they played USC pretty tough. They look like they had given up. It looked like they didn't want to be there. And, we you know, you hear from these kids a lot where they're sacrificing so much, like Keeley talked about. They can't go see their families on Thanksgiving. They're basically in this kind of, you know, pseudo bubble. And it's tough on them, but they really want to play football. They're excited to play football, and they're willing to sacrifice. It looked like Arizona, the players, were kind of done sacrificing. They just didn't want to do it anymore. Uh, they had given up. And, man, just everything Arizona State was doing, I think it was like seven turnovers. They just they looked terrible. Grant Goodell comes back, their quarterback. He gets uh, he gets benched. Um, so I think Kevin Sutherland didn't give them a choice. I think they had to fire him at that point. And now we'll see, you know, could they go after like a Todd Orlando or, a, or a, a Graham Harrell, or, you know, where who are they going to bring in? Um, it'll be really interesting to see if, you know, if USC gets involved, you know, if they're going after any USC assistants or if they, where they bring in. Because there's been some good coaching hires, I think, in the Pac-12. That year that Sumlin was hired was, he was really the only failure. Like, I think Jonathan Smith's doing a, a really good job. Uh, you know, Herm Edwards has done a good job. Um, you know, Chip Kelly's kind of turned things around. That was a pretty good class. Sumlin who had the best resume well outside of chip kelly um you know he failed he failed miserably there so i don't know what it, what didn't work but it did not work
3: i think i saw on the arizona uh, board message boards that a, a booster actually stepped up and paid the buyout
1: okay so that so, that would make sense but they yeah you almost had no choice like you had to figure out a way like all right we don't want to do it but let's figure out a way
4: yeah when you lose 70 to 7 to your eyeball it's there's nothing left, and, and it's the it's, 12th loss in a row. Like your 12th loss in a row is 70 to seven. And everyone knew it wasn't going to be pretty this year when you lose all. You basically lost your entire linebackers. You got to all walk on linebackers for yep. the most part. Like you're not going to be able to sustain being competitive when you're having you know when basically whole position groups are walk ons, which is why there's the rules in with COVID. If you fall under a certain amount of scholarship players, then the game can be not played. Yep. Apparently
3: USC has opened up as a seven point favorite against Washington. Just so you know, that's
1: interesting. I mean, we've seen people come back from COVID and not be as you know they're not they're not whole. You know, they're not, not as we, sharp. Yeah. Um, so actually, I, I
4: talked with a USC basketball source about this, and you know, there's concerns. They have a, you know the positive test today, canceled their Pac-12 opener. If they have to go into quarantine for two weeks, is they they felt really good about where they were right now, but where are you going to be in two weeks if you're not able to practice for two weeks? Yeah. And it's, it's a big concern.
3: That's a good point. Raphael on Facebook said, do you think Vivai Malpei will return next year or possibly declare?
1: I think he will come back.
4: I don't know what his NFL future would be. I mean, I don't know that he's, he's just, he's just really, he's good at everything, but he's not great at anything. Um, you know, so a guy like that could find a place in the NFL as a, as a special teamer and do some different things, but he's, you know, running backs, it's hard to make it in the NFL as a running back, especially for any extended amount of time. So, you know, I think he's already got his degree though. So and maybe depending on where he is with a graduate degree, not real sure. You know, congratulations to all the guys. There's a lot of new graduate uh, uh, patches on uniforms this past game. So congratulations to all those guys. Uh, Those, I guess the first, First semester grades came through, so a lot of guys. Yeah, the, to do. the semester's over; yeah.
3: they ended it early. So there you go. Um, Jeff says, "With the decommits recently, are is USC going to fill spots or save them for next year?"
4: No, I think they're going to be filling those. They're
1: going to try to, but it is interesting because basically, 2020 and 2021 classes get combined, and with the transfer rules where you could get people in right away, some people might leave some open spots, so. I, I think they're going to try to fill them, but if they don't, they, they at least, you know, you'll have some spots that you could actually use. I
4: don't think you're going to see any late, late offers go out like we've seen in the last couple yeah. of years with certain positions. Uh, I think, I mean, the quarterback is the one position where they really need an extra body. Um, they got Miller Moss committed. Jake Garcia has decommitted. Don't expect him to come back in the class. Jackson Dart, they're really trying to, to, to add him to the class. Uh, They need another body there. If they don't get Dart, they'll probably go on the transfer portal. But I don't think you're going to see any late, late offers where they've done that last couple of years with like Jaden Delora or Dylan Gabriel or uh, the kid that went to Boise State last year. So um, I, I don't think you're going to see that just because of so many unknowns, like Ryan said. And there's so many guys in the transfer portal right now, just with how things were dealt with at certain schools, kids didn't like it or did like it, the way the play in time played out. Some kids just want to be closer to home. A lot, a lot, a lot of players in the transfer portal. So that is another option as well. Yeah, really mm-hmm.
1: hard to social distance in the transfer portal. It's very crowded in there, so. <laughs>
4: um, we
3: had a question from Tim who says, With two minutes to go in the game, who do you guys take, Darnold or Slovis? He would take Slovis. Tim.
1: Uh, that's tough. Darnold can, like... Who do I think, you have receiving? Okay, here's the, th- pro- here's the problem. Slovis <laughs> has, a much, he has a much better scheme behind him, like... Darnold, like, if Darnold had a good scheme and those same receivers and stuff, it's like, I think he would do those things too. But the play breaks down and Darnold just do it on his own. He'd figure out something and make it happen on his own. Where Slovis has, like, actual, you know, good plays behind him. So, I, I'd probably still go Darnold.
4: But Slovis has great pocket uh, awareness, pocket mobility. Um That's a really tough one. I'm going to take whichever offensive line is playing better for for (laughs) one. But I think you take Darnold just because the play breaks down. He can still run and pick up a first down for you and keep the clock moving uh, because that's so big in college football is getting to the first down marker to stop the clock. So I'm going to take Darnold in this one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What do you got?
3: I think I'm going to take Donald. Also because I feel like the offensive line was better around Donald.
1: Well, let's just say bit. all the same. Just give like him t- the same uh, all offensive all line, the, mm, the same no, receivers. It's just situation. the
3: quarterback. shotgun ah, knows how indecisive I am. Yeah. I'm going to say Donald. Yeah. Just for the sake yeah. of it. Or you could just take Liner. You know, whatever. Sure. That was an option, but sure. <laughs> um, hip-hop lover John said, Will Talonohu Funga be an All-American?
4: I think so. I mean, he doesn't even have the games, but the numbers he's putting up, I think are going to be too much to ignore. It's going to, I don't know if he'll be a first team All-American just because of, you know, not having the, you know, full slate that some of the SEC teams and whatnot are having, but I think he's going to make at least somebody. He's going to make somebody's team. I mean, his tackles yeah. per game and stuff and four straight games with interceptions. He's forcing fumbles. He's had multiple forced fumbles. He's doing it all for USC right now. Yeah,
1: there's a lot of lists. He'll make some of them for sure, especially if he, you know, he's had four picks in a row. That's something you can like, hey, this safety has four interceptions in a row. Like, okay, that's something that you can, if you're voting for that stuff, you're like, oh, okay, that sounds good, you know?
3: Okay, I just realized it's almost 8.30, so we're going to go actual rapid fire, okay, guys? Okay. Uh, Coley says, at 5, and know USC normally at this time of the season would be halfway. Considering they would have uh, their other half of the season to play, do you feel that the Trojans would be trending up or down?
1: They're playing better, but it's just the competition hasn't been great. So who's, who's on the schedule in the other half? Is it another half that's like the first half, or is it is it Oregon, Notre Dame and Alabama in the second, then it, you know, that, that'd be different, but they're playing better for sure. Were they, are they playing good enough to beat elite team type of teams? I don't know. We haven't seen them play one this year, so it's hard to say.
4: They're turning up.
3: Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah I would say at least the defense is, I think yeah. there's something to be said for the time that they didn't have in spring. You can see that. I think more experience each week is helping the team. Yeah. And they're turning upward. Well done. Chuck. And I'm proud of you. <laughs> you tried your best. Uh, D.D. Diego said, if Washington won the Pac-12 North and championship game is North champ versus South champ, then why doesn't USC take the Pac-12 if for some reason Washington can't play?
4: It's a valid question. You know, So they just mark it as, hey, USC is the champion, but we're still going to play an extra game? Maybe they could do that, but it's a weird year. That's why. (laughs) Because all chaos is gone. Not everybody's played the same number of games and stuff, so... Uh, that's why it's not going to be that way.
1: Yeah, it is it is weird that you're kind of punishing the team that has the best record in the Pac-12 by playing on a short week two weeks in a row and, you know, playing a team that's coming off a bye in the championship game. And maybe another team. I haven't prepared for two. So it's not ideal, but it is hashtag 2020. So that's where we are.
3: Uh, we have condolences in the chat for you, Ryan, considering the Steelers just lost. So oh, they,
1: oh, yeah. there you go. Bummer. <laughs>
3: um, and... I, don't shoot the messenger. SNS Productions said, uh, Why does this offense suck so much more than last year? Question mark, question mark, question mark. That's a
4: lot. There's actually There's way a lot. more question marks yeah. than that. But yeah. uh, I, I think the biggest thing is that defenses have tape on them now. You know, they played them last year. They know what to expect. And as Graham Harrell has so vividly told us many, many times, that it only takes so many practices to put this offense in. It's not a complicated offense, it's an execution based So, you know, if you don't execute, then. you you don't perform and USC, I think defenses have figured out uh, different ways to attack it. So I think that's part of it.
1: Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's not like they're terrible. It's like, you know, Slovis went from like super elite to like really freaking good. You know, he's just a little bit more inconsistent. Like he's not, you know, he hasn't been as sharp, like all the time. as like he was last year. I would say.
3: Seth had a good question on YouTube. He says, what type of things will have to happen for USC to get into the CFP
4: chaos?
1: Yeah. Sharknado somewhere? I don't know, something like that. I don't know about
4: that, but you know, Alabama. Sharknado would do it. um, You need Alabama to win. Probably you need Clemson to lose. You need Ohio State potentially to lose. Um, You know, so then there's two teams in, and there's two open spots. So then. What happens after that? That's a That could be a big question. Then Florida US, losing
1: was good. Like, that helps. Yeah, that
4: definitely helped. And, you know, thank uh, Marco Wilson, former USC recruit Marco Wilson, for tossing a shoe in that one to LSU. give him a chance.
3: We had multiple questions about the significance of last night's victory for USC in their recruiting pursuits. How much does that matter? And someone said, would that persuade Corey Foreman at all?
1: No. One game doesn't matter.
4: Apparently. One game doesn't matter. However, I think Richard, uh, Gerard put it really uh, well in his recruiting angle piece. If you're a VIP member, you can read that. He does. He's done one each week this season. Um, that it it just it gives them a lot more momentum to close this class well. Uh, instead of you know they were down 28-10 and people were going oh what's going to happen with USC, um, then I think that this last few days everyone is excited. Like you can call up a recruit and go, man, did you see how he did. You know, if we just had you, then you know we would have never been in that position. But look at look at the fight this team has. Blah 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 blah. Whatever that can be your recruiting pitch. But just excitement and momentum is something going forward. And you know they're seeing development at, at positions like Corey Foreman's.
3: Uh, I need to personally apologize to Sheldon on Facebook who had the game taped Sunday Night Football in order to watch this, and I just spoiled the ending. So I apologize. Didn't mean to do that. Um, and then one last question from 1960s kid: Is Die Hard a Christmas movie?
1: Yes. I'm gonna say yeah. I like I just like Die Hard, but the debate's all funny. But yeah, I'll go Christmas movie. So I
3: think it can be. Welcome to the party, pal. (laughs) (laughs) Oh wow!
1: It's so good. They have like uh, Bruce Willis is doing like a die like a commercial for like AutoZone or like something a die like a diehard battery or whatever. Yeah, he's die like like he's like breaks through the you know I, th- I think it's like an AutoZone commercial. Maybe it's Die Hard battery commercial. I don't know, but yeah. clearly
3: it didn't work on you because you don't know what it's. I wrong. don't know what it is, but it's, it's pretty
4: diehard cool. Hard batteries commercial. Okay. <laughs> die Hard is back. That's the whole premise.
3: Yeah, but the marketing didn't work for Ryan. <sighs> Alrighty, any final thoughts, gentlemen? Just so everyone knows, just to reiterate it, we will be back on Wednesday, seven p.m. for a Tunnel Vision Palooza early signing day recap and previewing the pac 12 title game. We will be delirious. We will be tired, but we will be here talking to you guys because we love it. So make sure you stay tuned for that. But like I said, guys, any final thoughts before we
1: wrap it up? I just like to thank everybody. I know we had a lot of people on, I think we had like over 400 people on YouTube alone, which is great. Thank yeah, thanks, you guys, guys for tuning in and watching. It's been Crazy for all of you. It's been crazy for all of us. We didn't think there was going to be a season. You sort of put one together. And you cobble this thing together, like you built it out of Legos, and all of a sudden, like yeah, it doesn't look like the box, but we got something here. You know, it's pretty good. Um, so, <laughs> we're trying. You know, we're trying to keep up with everything. It's just a juggling act. Oh, this game's canceled. Oh, they're going to play. They might play this team the championship. They might play this team. It's very weird. So we're trying to roll with the punches and we appreciate you rolling with us throughout the whole thing. So thanks for uh, tuning in.
4: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that sounds like the one time I tried to put together a model car and it wasn't a snap together. It was like the glue kind. <laughs> oh, You yeah. got done and you're just like, it doesn't really roll, but it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Is that
3: your final thought? That's 2020.
4: You know, uh, again, be happy. It's a, it's a fun time. Thank Be thankful for the people around you. And uh, we're thankful for you guys. Mm -hmm.
3: Oh, and I need to apologize to Andrew who called in our intern kind of messed up the, the controls, So you got dropped, but it wasn't on purpose. So apologize for that. Um, Sorry. It wasn't
4: a purpose, and it wasn't me. Just wanted to put- No, no, no. Uh-huh. Micah wanted
3: me to to put it out into the ether that it wasn't. We weren't being <laughs> malicious, so there you go. Yeah. Um, that's going to wrap it up. Like I said, Tunnel Vision Palooza on Wednesday, 7 p.m. Stay tuned for that. But That's going to wrap it up for tonight. That's Shotgun. That's Ryan. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next time. Bye.
0: Explore the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.